Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So church, we are in week three of our Rebuild and Renew series. And so we've, we've taken a deep dive into the book of Nehemiah, which is set just under two and a half thousand years ago. Uh, so really set 500 years before Christ. And before we get into Nehemiah, I want us to consider a problem. I want us to consider a problem. In our Western mindset, we've got this word individualitis is meant to come up afterwards. It's not a real word for anybody who is uh, an, into their English. Not a real word, but we're afflicted with this problem that everything in life tends to revolve in our, around ourselves. We individualize everything. When we watch the films, we end up putting ourselves into the main character. Often whenever we, we're talking to people, we're, we're actually better sharing our experiences than listening to others. I standing on the, on the sidelines of the football match as a, as a guy came up in his crutches yesterday and was beginning to share about how his knee was desiccated last week. And as he was sharing with this other guy how his knee was desiccated, the other guy was saying, oh yeah, I remember that there happened to me in this A, B, C, and D. And the guy that was injured was standing in crutches and ultimately he couldn't get a word out. And so often when we talk, we're better at sharing our experiences than listening to others. And you know, whenever we come to the Bible, it's maybe not all that different. We're tempted to read ourselves into the story as a hero. Uh, we look for the good guy. We look at the guy with the good qualities. We look for the righteous ones and then we slot ourselves in. Why? Well, because the story's all about us, right? Wrong. We rarely read ourselves into the story as the, as the Judases or the Jezebels. And notice the names I'm not going to be giving to my kids. And I say this because I think we've got a problem that Nehemiah chapter 3 can actually help us with. So a, a pastor in England, a guy Andrew Wilson, calls us individualitis. Whenever me thinking replaces we thinking. Ultimately, the world doesn't revolve around me. There's billions of people on this planet that do not know me and they do not care for me. I am not the center of human history. It might be tough for some people to hear. Ultimately, it's so liberating. It is so liberating. So Andrew Wilson summarizes a problem as individualitis. And so some of the ways that you, that you maybe will begin to think whether you suffer with it or not could be found like this. If you think that I have a destiny, if that's how you think, if you generally think that you have a destiny, you probably have individualitis. If you're thinking as we have a destiny, you probably don't have it. So how you see your plan and your purposes. Maybe when it comes to scripture, is your default thinking, well, this is for me. This is, this is directly for me. You probably have individualitis. Or maybe whenever you're reading scripture, you're, you're thinking, wow, this is for us. This is for us, the body. This is for us, the church. Maybe when it comes to church, if, if you see church as, as optional, as, uh, as fluid, as, as dynamic, as organic, not essential, then chances are you've got an individual problem. If church isn't essential, then you've probably got individualitis. Or maybe when it comes to the gospel, if your summary of the gospel doesn't mention church or doesn't mention Israel, then you've probably got individualitis. Or maybe when it comes to gifts and you're new to church, and you're thinking, well, I've got this gift. How are they going to use this? It's probably a touch of individualitis. Rather than the church has this need, how will I serve it? See the difference here? 
between me thinking and we thinking. And so I, I think in all of our lives, at some place or another, we're all afflicted by this. I know I am. Our natural tendency, Matthew's natural tendency, is to go in on himself, individualize everything, and make me the center of the story, make me the center point of history, make me the center of the world. And so why do I say this? Because perhaps in Nehemiah 1 and 2 in the past two weeks, we found ourselves considering us to be the Nehemiah, kind of writing ourselves into his role in the story. So Nehemiah 1, he, two weeks ago, he saw the need, he felt the stirring, and he knew where to start. These are Steve's three points. He felt the need, which is a brokenness of the city. He felt the stirring, which is of God's heart. And he knew where to start, and that was to go in prayer. And then chapter 2, Nehemiah faced his fears. He didn't rush. Uh, he didn't procrastinate. But he actually made decisions for the glory of God and for the good of others. So ultimately, Nehemiah caught God's heart for God's city. And in our context, God wants Christ's city church to be a city within a city for the good of the gospel and the well-being of others in Dublin. And so today we're going to slide into Nehemiah 3. And so the work now begins in rebuilding the walls. And as the work begins, and as we go and read this passage in a moment, there's a tension I want us to hold. You see it on the screen. In the service of God, everybody is somebody. That's class. We love that. In the service of God, everybody is somebody. But yet it is the whole church who is a big player in God's plan. Do you see the tension here? Absolutely everybody is somebody in the service of God. But the big idea here is it's a whole church who's a player in God's plan. So we're going to make a couple of observations. One, we're all in it together. And two, we're all united under our leader. So we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 3 now. It's going to be one of these chapters that in your morning devotions you probably skip over. It's going to be one of these chapters that you probably don't get tattooed on yourself. It's going to be one of these chapters that you'll probably not find inspirational verses from Nevertheless, it's significant. It is the word of God. It is given to us. And we're going to read it. It's going to be on the screen. If you've got a Bible in front of you, you could open it as well. We're going to read all of Nehemiah 3. And I'd encourage you to give me a wee bit of grace with it. So Nehemiah 3. Eliashab, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated and as far as the power of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Miramoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bena, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joida, son of Pasean, Meshulam, son of Besodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men of, from Gibeon and Mizpah. Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of the trans-Euphrates. Uzil, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Raphiah, son of Hur, 
ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Haramath, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashbaniah, made repairs next to him. Malchijah, son of Harim, and Hashab, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanan, and by the residents of Zanoah, they rebuilt it and put its doors, their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kol Jose, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden, as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, different Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of a half district of Bethzur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rehum, son of Benai. Beside him, Hashabiah, ruler of the half district of Keilah, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites under Benu, son of Henadad, ruler of the other half district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section from a point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle of the wall. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Elishab, the high priest. Next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakos, repaired another section from the entrance of Elishab's house to the end of it. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hasub made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Masiah, the son of Anna, Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Benoi, son of Henadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. And Palal, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace of the court of the guard, near the court of the guard. Next to him, Padiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, made repairs up to a point opposite the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Amor, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zelof, repaired another section. Next to them, Melushim, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner. 
And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. Amen. Amen. That is a challenge and a half. Well, do not ask me to do that again. Oh, wow. Christ City Church, in the service of God, absolutely everybody is somebody. We've just rattled through over 40 different names, many of whom we'll be hearing for the first time, and most of whom will never actually get another mention in Scripture. We've just been taken on a counterclockwise journey around the walls. We started up at the Sheep Gate up at the top, counterclockwise journey around the walls of Jerusalem as we've heard who worked on what part of the wall, who worked in the various gates, who worked in the various walls and the towers. As ultimately, we're all in this together. That's how it kicks off. We're all in this together. It begins at the Sheep Gate, and the gates are critical. They're the critical entry and exit points to the city. The places most likely to see the enemy attack is going to be the gates. Therefore, the work has to start at each gate and it works out from there. And so the sheep gate was named the sheep gate because it's where shepherds brought their flocks to sell them. And so look who was mentioned as the very first worker. Eliashab, the high priest. He rose up with other priests to do the work. He wasn't a builder by trade, but yet he was out in front of the work. He was leading by example. He wasn't acting like he was too spiritual for that job. He wasn't too spiritual for the hard work of rebuilding the walls. But having, having built the gate, they consecrated it. And so the idea of consecrating it is recognizing something that's special. This is set apart uniquely for God's glory and for God's service. The gates were made special to God. Nehemiah and Elisha knew that God wanted everything to be set apart and special to him, including the walls and including the gates. So because the first of the work was specifically set out to God, it was a way for them to say, here, the first thing is done. All of this belongs to you, Lord. This is a work done entirely unto you. So the wall was consecrated. The priest, the high priest, announced it as holy, set apart for God's service and his glory. I want you to hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to it. You know, at the beginning of lockdown in March 2020, there was this this initial camaraderie across the island, across most aspects of society. The idea that we're all in it together. We can do this. We can all play our part. Everyone stays at home. Everyone contributes. Everyone's got a part to play. And that began to fizzle out as time went on. But when it began, there was this idea, we're all in it together. You know, it's not so different here as we read of seemingly random people catching the vision, getting to work, building part of the walls, even outside their own homes, in their local area, giving off themselves for something so much bigger and so much greater than who they are. They're contributing to something so much greater than they could ever achieve on their own. In the service of God, everybody is a somebody. We hear the men of Tekoa, verse 5. Next section is repaired by these guys, and their nobles wouldn't even... Nobles were too good for this, weren't they? They're too good to go and put their shoulders to work. But the men of Tekoa went and did it. And did you hear about three quarters of the way through the passage, the men of Tekoa went and rebuilt another section? It's incredible. Church, I want to tell you that whether you're church leaders whether you're leaders in your job or your academics, whether they pull their weight or not, I want you to be encouraged that everything you do, you do it for the glory of God. If you see me slacking, I'd encourage you to come and tell me. But if you see me slacking, that doesn't give you an excuse to slacken because you don't do things for Mafia, you don't do things for the pastor. It's for the glory of Jesus. It's for the glory of God alone. 
So why do we want Rush to Nehemiah 3 for inspiring one-liners or for the verse of the day? Do you see the bigger picture? People from all parts of society are coming together. We've got men and we've got women. We've got clergy and we've got laity. We've got both the upper class and we've got the lower class. We've got priests. We've got perfume makers. We've got goldsmiths. We've got merchants all joining in the action. Off all of those, the goldsmith is probably the closest one to to being qualified to do that. And even at that, the goldsmith is absolutely not qualified. Ultimately, it was all hands on deck. Everyone was mobilized. But yet not everyone had the same job. Not everyone had the same role. Not everyone had the same skills. Some people worked on walls while others worked on the gates and on the bars. Some had a more glamorous job than others. I can imagine it would be absolutely awesome to work at the King's Garden or at the Pool of Siloam where it's going to be green, it's going to be lush, there's going to be plants, there's going to be water, it's going to be incredible. But then it wouldn't have been as pleasant just working slightly across at the dung gate. I hear a couple of little laughs. I can't read that without smiling at it, so I don't know how you guys aren't laughing, but anyway, the refuse of the city was carried out that way. So we're going to stop at the dung gate. There's no way we can look at this passage without stopping here. We're going to stop at the dung gate because we come across Malkaija. We know precious little of him. Chances of you hearing his name before, chances of me hearing his name before this week is fairly slim. We know precious little of him other than he was a ruler of a district. His life, his achievements, his hobbies, what he looked like, all we know is that he worked at the dung gate. We know nothing of him. His legacy, Malkaija's legacy, is the dung gate. There's very few Malkaijas in Ireland. And I wonder how many Malkaijas are here today. It's a challenge. Malkaija was willing to work at the dung gate. In the service of God, absolutely everybody is somebody. The task of repairing the walls meant that everyone had to step in and play their part. Whether glamorous or not, regardless of profession, whether it was good or whether it wasn't good, they were all in it together. Nothing mattered apart from their availability to their God. Nothing mattered apart from their availability to their God. We're all in it together, church. When it comes to rebuilding and renewing as a church and as a city, we're all in it together but also we're all united under our leader. You know, this passage, and even the book of Nehemiah, is way too often used to to showcase Nehemiah's organizational skills, showcase his savvy leadership, and showcasing his his ability to mobilize everybody to action. And I'm not saying this didn't happen or it was wrong, because it did happen, and it was good, and it was right. But if we're not careful, we're, we're really prone to miss what's truly important. Ultimately, Nehemiah isn't even mentioned in the passage. You know, the book of Nehemiah finds its place in a very small part in the larger arc of God's redemptive plan for all of history. Nehemiah is simply just a foreshadow of the ultimate leader, the one that didn't travel from Susa to Jerusalem, but rather the one that traveled from heaven to earth. The one who wouldn't just put put his life at risk, but the one who would actually freely give it up. And so as Nehemiah points towards Jesus and God's plan of redemption, the one who would actually establish the kingdom of God on earth, the one that would actually make us citizens of the ultimate city, as we recognize that Nehemiah points towards Jesus, we, church, can find ourselves in the right place in the story. We can find our rightful place on the wall. 
You know, the problem that we're faced with is too large a view of our own self-importance. I mentioned this idea of individualitis. The problem we're faced with is, is this too large a view of this individualitis where it's all about me and I'm the center point. If it doesn't sit me, then I'm out of there. And I want to pour a wee bit of cold water on that. And this might sting. Historian and theologian Carl Truman says this, the belief that we are special is by and large complete tosh. You like that word? The belief that we are special is by and large complete tosh. Most of us are mediocre, making unique contributions in the peculiar ways we screw things up and can easily be replaced as husbands, fathers, or employees by someone better suited to the task. I'm glad my wife is out doing kids. I wouldn't want to see what she says to that. But yet far too many Christians have senses of destiny that verge on the messianic. The confidence that the Lord has a special plan and a purpose just for them shapes the way they act and move. Put bluntly, when I read the Bible, it seems to me, seems to me that the church is a meaning of human history, but it is the church as a corporate body, not the distinct individuals who make up our membership. Wow. My special destiny as a believer is to be part of the church and it is the church who is a bigger player in God's wider plan and not me. Wow. That is offensive and that hurts. But you see that it is the church who is a bigger player in God's wider plan and it's not me. Church, if you're like me feeling offended right now, feeling bruised, it's likely that your ego has taken a bruising. But even more likely, it's likely that individualitis is beginning to creep in. Because it does something to our ego. It, it hurts our feelings when we, when we realize that we're actually not the big player here. It's actually the church who's a bigger player in God's plan. So in the service of God, everybody is somebody. There's a tension though. Yet it's a whole church who's a big player in God's plan. And I want to bring you back to verse 1 again where the priests dedicated the walls as they began. So it seems weird. The, the priests do the work. That's great. They set an example. But what? They dedicate the walls? They, they go and dedicate bricks? What, what can bricks do for God's glory and service? Bricks look nice. Consider this in the context of redemptive history. Even in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was a sign of something even bigger and something greater to come. And you know, it wasn't literal walls, but it was walls of salvation. It wasn't a physical city that was to come, but it was a spiritual city. And only whenever we place Nehemiah into, this, into the larger arc of what God is doing in history, does it really open things up, and the implications are absolutely huge. Nehemiah was operating at a totally different stage of redemptive history. Israel was a nation state. It is a particular race. It is different to what we see as Israel, the country now. Physical walls were important for the protection and the prosperity of the city, but it was never intended to remain that way. A greater city was coming, an eternal city. But where does Christ City Church find itself in this story? So what, Maffey? This yoke isn't working. There we go. There we go. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2. This is where Christ City Church finds its place. Peter is writing about the church. And so whenever it says the word you, you don't individualize it too much. It's corporate. As you come to him, the living stone, 
rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Church, in the service of God, everybody is a somebody. But yet it's a whole church who's a bigger player in God's plan. Peter is ascribing to the local church what the walls were to Jerusalem. Do you see it? The walls are consecrated. They were set apart for God's glory and service. And now Peter is saying, you, the church, are consecrated. You are the living stones. You're being built together into a spiritual house. The glory that was on the walls that were rebuilt is nothing compared to the glory that God's church beholds. And now it is the church. It's not Jerusalem, which is a city on a hill. It is now the church, not Jerusalem, that is to be a light to the nations. It is now the church, not Jerusalem, that's to be set apart and distinct. Nehemiah is pointing toward the future where the people of God will be holy, not the walls of the city, where the rebuilding isn't the physical walls, but the spiritual walls, where the big player in God's plan is not the individual, but it's the whole church. And so if everybody is somebody, then we all have our roles. And it's the whole church who's a bigger player in God's plan. Then what are the implications for Christ City Church? Christ City Church is to be a church, but it's also to be a city within a city. And it's the whole church that's to be the good of the gospel. And it's for the well-being of the city of Dublin. If you want a mandate, it is to be a city within a city. It is to carry the gospel and it's for the well-being of the city of Dublin. Can I even, there we go, wonderful. If we're all in it together, and if we're united under our leader, as my, as my two observations say, then the bottom line is that we've all got to play our part. The bottom line is that every role is, is needed. The bottom line is that we're all equal. And the bottom line is that we are not alone. If we've got a, a part to play as we begin to rebuild, both within the church and the, and the city, then glamorous or not, jobs have to be done. There are roles for every single one of us. Some of them are going to be glamorous and they're going to be lovely. They're going to smell great. Some of them, if you're an extrovert, you'll get to do refreshments and get to chat to everybody and smile, and that's class. Other ones are unpleasant, the ones where the toilets have to be cleaned and prepped. Other ones are unpleasant, where you're maybe going to be in, in the background even though you want to be noticed. There's jobs that are unseen. There are jobs that are costly. There are jobs that take our time, our energy, our resources. There are jobs and roles within the church that we've got to do even if our gifting maybe doesn't line up fully with it. And you know, it's so easy for us to think, that, you know what, somebody else can fill that gap. Somebody else can step in. Well, listen, I don't get paid for it, but there's a couple of guys in the church that do get paid, so they can do it. We need to move away from the thinking about what, what we have to offer toward where is there a need that I can meet. Now, as the church gets reestablished again and rebuilt, and as, our, as we're in a good place, then we could step away and actually begin to serve in a, in a particular way that's, that, that's good for where our gifts lie. But until that point, there's this idea of all hands on deck, we build where we are. Where there is a need, that's where we get to meet it. Guys, every role is needed. You know, if the wall was, was not fully built, then ultimately there would be no wall at all. There is no point in building a wall of protection around the city if it's not going to be finished. 
If you do 75% of it, you may as well have done none of it. You may as well have done none of it. If, if the other 25 is not complete, then ultimately an army can get in, straight in, no issues, there's no wall, there's no point. Every role is needed, the full wall, not the part wall. And so the solution is simply to begin where you are. Did you see the guys that actually built at their own front doors, at their own houses? Sure, their houses probably were in good condition at this point because they'd been back for a ton of years and the walls were, were devastating. But what did they do? They just stepped out of their house. They stepped out of where they were and they built what was in front of them. I'd encourage you, yes, in the church, but more so in society in Dublin, build what's in front of you. Whether you work, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're in the city, whether you're in college, whether it's none of the above, I'd encourage you, build where you are. Invest where you are. We love these next words. We're all equal. Equality is a huge thing. It's a buzzword. Someday it's not going to be. But I wonder, are we focused on our own promises and our, our, our need for prominence in the church? Or do we see the church as a body where each member is equal and we're all needed to help extend God's kingdom and make Jesus famous? It's the same idea as Paul's analogy of the body. We all can't be an ear, we all can't be an eye, we all can't be hands. There is a need for absolutely everybody and everybody in the eyes of God and the eyes of Christ City Church are equal. You know, you mightn't feel very equal in the workplace. You might feel downtrodden, you might feel stamped upon, you might feel hated, you might be ashamed. People might shame you because, because you love and follow Jesus. I want to tell you, in the eyes of God, you are equal, you are precious, you are worthy. And God has a task for you. And then finally, we're not alone. Church, we are here. We are all in it together. We are all united under our leader. And wherever you find yourself, whether you're in Dublin 4 or Dublin 15 like me, whether you're in Dublin 1 on the north side or Dublin 2 on the south side, whether you're at Ranala and Rath Mines in Dublin 6, we are not alone. Church, we exist to see Jesus made famous in Dublin. We exist to see Dublin become a great city, spiritually, socially, and culturally. As we begin to rebuild here at Christ City Church in this autumn season, we want this rebuilding to flow out, that the blessings of the re of the, the rebirth of the church, so to speak, should actually bear fruit in Dublin. It should bear fruit in your offices. It should bear fruit in your houses. It should bear fruit in your communities. Leanne, could I just invite you back up, please? Church, could I just get you to close your eyes? And whether you're on, if you're online as well, I'd encourage you to close your eyes where you're at. You know, in, in, in a world where everything revolves around me, in a world where everything revolves around me, it can be refreshing to know that I am not the big player in God's plan. Amen. That should be refreshing. I'm not the saviour Dublin needs. Say, say that unto yourselves. I'm not the saviour Dublin needs. I'm not the one that God pins all his hopes and his dreams on to see the city one for him. Wow, that's so refreshing. No. A church, a church is reserved for that role alone. Each of us have our part to play in that. 
as we are united under King Jesus, who what? Who is the chief cornerstone. It should be so refreshing that, that the kingdom of God can absolutely be furthered and established by ourselves, but it is not up to us alone. This is where the whole church operates. The whole church is a big player in God's plan. God, I thank you that we can put to death the individualitis as we find ourselves caught up in your greater story of redemption here in Dublin. And as we find ourselves, and as we find our place alongside our brothers and our sisters on the wall serving Jesus our Lord, then it won't really matter ultimately whether we're serving at the Dungate or the palace. And I pray you would help us be content where you have us placed and where we get to serve you. In your name. Amen. Mm, amen.